there can be coarse language and adult concepts in our program. So please watch out for little ears that might be running around if you've got your podcast playing or pop on some headphones and that way no one can get offended but you. There was no understanding that indigeneity is not just one you know, one part of my identity politics. It's not something on a list. It is actually the fundamental, foundational blood. It is the blood memory of my entire being. Rights for Festivals proudly presents the Feminist Writers Festival 2018. Supported by Create New South Wales and Writing New South Wales and produced by Pamela Cook and Kel Butler from the Rights for Women podcast. Hi, I'm Nikki Anderson, Director of the Feminist Writers Festival. Ahead of Invasion Day, we'd like to share this snippet of Evelyn Araluen talking about the legacy books that inspired her, taken from the opening night of the 2018 Feminist Writers Festival in Melbourne. Jingiwala, everyone. Um, just wanting to extend my respect and my acknowledgements of the Woiwurrung Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nations upon whose country we meet today. I also would like to extend my respect to the survivors of the Corrandirk Reserve, many of whom have gathered and sought refuge on this country and would also just like to further extend that to the Kamaragunja Reserve from which some of my family have come and some of my family who have sought that refuge in Nam. Um, so I'm very delighted to be with you all today. I uh, find the way in which my work and my identity is often situated in proximity to discourses of feminism very interesting. Um, I think like a lot, I can see quite a lot of young women in the audience and young femmes in the audience um, who I believe would have approached feminism in a similar way that I did in terms of its distribution and the actual access that we have, you know, sort of millennials. Um, we found uh, feminism as a kind of understanding logic and, um, and a language of resistance through social media, through the internet. It was not necessarily that our experiences were shaped by that language, but that we were very lucky that many of us actually had access to the work that many older generations had been struggling to put together for several years. And I found a lot of that on Tumblr. Um, so yeah, I was just like, oh, I want to reblog this nice picture of an eyeshadow palette. Um, and also, uh, have you heard of intersectionality? And, um, yeah, so, uh, I'm better than you. So, um, so I fell into feminism or, or rather sort of became to, uh, or, or began to approach and associate myself with the language of feminism through my exposure in a very different text realm than what even people 10 years, five years older than me would have had access to. And so I always do like to just sort of show as much respect as I can to the women and to the femmes who did this work at a time in which it was not as anywhere near as accessible and the tools were not anywhere near as accessible. But um, having said that, uh, the way in which 
I came to a language of feminism and, you know, the discourse and the tools of feminism was heavily inflected by my position as an Aboriginal woman. So what we encountered on Tumblr, um, you know, was very often a sort of generalised, you know, more often than not US-centric language of feminism, which was more concerned with identity politics, which was more concerned with the policing of social media language than it was necessarily occupied with actual material struggle. And so it's kind of a bit of an issue when people just sort of take their feminism exclusively from Tumblr um, and end up in these sort of, you know, this is that, that, that's, that's no, no, no shame, no, you know, no hate on Tumblr, but, um, you gotta, you gotta grow up at some particular point in time. So, um, I felt very empowered to the point of being a bit bratty that I was able to access all of this language. And then it was suddenly like, oh, in identity politics, oh, intersectionalism, uh, my experience does differ from that. And now I have all of these oppression points that I can gain over other people on the internet and I can become more powerful than them and I will be the strongest <laughs> social justice warrior. Um, no, I kid you not, this was kind of what I was going through at like 19. But what I do want to be emphasising is the way in which different theoretical um, tools and different tools of social class race analysis have created space and dialogue for people who are actually very often excluded from those watered down and generalised and sort of vaguely distributed ideas about feminism. So... When I started to understand that contemporary feminism was actually not necessarily very concerned with the, speci- the, you know, with the specifics of my experience and that there were just certain points in time in which feminism would be emphasising concerns and values that harmed my Aboriginal brothers, so harmed the men who were, you know, experiencing state violence and harmed the men who were in a compromised position towards the state and whose sovereignty was compromised by the dispossessing powers which were empowering many white feminists, I did actually have to come to the point in which I realised that this watered-down, US-centric and predominantly quite white-focused feminism that I'd had access to on Tumblr just wasn't going to cut it. So I never actually decided to be like an academic feminist. I never decided to be an academic. I will just point out that the Australian Postgraduate Award pays double the dole and um, that's where I ended up at 21. But I have sort of gradually, I think partially just because of my identity and partially just because of my interest in decolonisation, which necessarily has to attend to the influence of colonisation on our gender paradigms and on our languages and representations of gender, um, I've kind of fallen into this space in which I actually do need to be ethically, constructively and quite, you know, well-informed about what feminism is and the limitations of different forms of feminism for Aboriginal people. And these limitations are extended also to intersectional modes of feminism. I very often was sort of told, oh, it's okay that you don't find your experience in white feminism because now we have intersectional feminism for you here. (laughs) The issue that I had with that is that the depiction of the various aspects of your identity and the axes of your either oppression or your privilege as kind of, you know, different branches of the tree of the individual was not actually creating a space for sovereignty as a soil. 
there was no understanding that indigeneity is not just one, you know, one part of my identity politics. It's not something on a list. It is actually the fundamental foundational blood. It is the blood memory of my entire being and everything must come from that. It cannot be depicted as an equal value or on the same kind of level as my gender. Colonisation has impacted the languages that we have of our gender and so I do need feminism to address that. But feminism, feminism is not going to give me my sovereignty as an Aboriginal woman. So the best text for me to kind of understand the confusing place that I found myself in where, like, of course, I was angered about the different ways in which gender configured me for specific roles and for specific position, positionalities. The, the really important text for me was Eileen, Arnie Eileen Morton Robinson's Talking Up to the White Women, to the White Woman, Indigenous Women and Feminism. Um, Arnie Eileen is a Kwandamuka academic feminist writer um she's in, like incredibly intimidating to read as like a young aboriginal woman who's just sort of entering tentatively into academia and then suddenly witnesses just the the profound strengths and integrity of her writing but it was a phenomenal book for me to read for a number of different um, values which I could take from, but also a number of different languages of analysis, of critique. Um, and yes, it is something which is primarily concerned with middle-class white women co-opting different languages of feminism, of you know, supposedly liberatory languages, but also quite significantly it talks about the way in which white middle-class women have always positioned themselves as central in these particular discourses. And Indigenous women have been silenced and erased from not only the liberatory discourses but also from all of the available archives which we actually have to try to reclaim something of our experience. So another writer who's been of enormous influence to me is Narunga poet and academic Natalie Harkin who wrote an essay um, that was... I, I, think, I can't remember the full title of the essay, Remapping the Archive, Blood in the Memory, something like that. And it was about the actual presence of her grandmother in the South Australian state archives of Aboriginal people. And in this essay, she talks really beautifully and very, um, very violently and with this very violent bodily imagery of haunting the archive as the archive haunts her. And what that essay gave to me was an understanding that I don't actually need to be seeking my languages of feminism and I don't need to be seeking my languages of liberation in the forms and the distributions of the colonial state. It is wonderful to have a book like Talking Up to the White Woman, which has been recognised as being, you know, academically brilliant and insightful and intelligent and very, very effective. Um, but there are also histories and stories and, you know, um, articulations of womanhood within the archive that can be accessed and can be liberated from that. So I guess um, my kind of conclusion from this is that uh, feminism comes to you and the languages of feminism comes to you in a multitude of ways and very often the work that we do in accessing that is often the work that we do to decolonise and deconstruct and reclaim something of ourselves from that language. If you enjoyed this presentation of Rights for Festivals, 
please jump onto the Rights for Women website, www.rightsforwomen.com, to see what else we have on offer. There's Mudgee, there's the National Young Writers Festival, we have Scone coming up, so jump on onto our website and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting writing festivals.